is an insult to do what you did and to give me that title. No, thank you. I'm a free American. Uh, Columbus wanted the entire hemisphere named after him. There was a compromise. They named the country Columbia after him. Columbia, Columbus. Today, America, or America, is more of a country than it is a hemisphere. But that's the indication of the, the attitude, mortality of white America, or people in the United States. This idea of manifest destiny, they, they can do what they want, they can take what they want. This was the name of a hemisphere, but they took it upon themselves to take that name. It was kind of funny. A few years ago, they had the uh, Tournament of the Americas. And it was some kind of athletic event. Listen to that, Tournament of the Americas. And then they had America Senior or America. It was kind of funny. Now, the other word I want to deal with is, is India. And this is a very important word. Um, there's a couple of schools of thought as to where it came from. <clears throat> we all know about the, the idea that uh, Columbus thought he had landed in India. Come on in. Thanks for coming. A little late. Okay, back to what I was saying is that we all know about the, the uh, theory that Columbus came here, thought he was in India, and named the people uh, Indians or Indios, and it became Anglicized into Indians. Well, there's another school of thought. That he probably has more credibility because Columbus had written some letters back to Spain to see Queen. And in those letters, he talked about, he said, these people run around half naked, barefoot. Uh, there's food all over the place. Nobody goes hungry. There's love and respect. There's no war. They're beautiful people. Uh, it's like a paradise. He said, these people, son, una gente in York. These people are a people in the grace of God. So that name stuck. In 1977, the first international conference of American Indians of the Western Hemisphere was held in Geneva, Switzerland. Now, why you would leave your hemisphere and go to Geneva, Switzerland, I don't know why. But in that conference, which was sponsored by indigenous people, they talked about how do we identify ourselves? What do we call ourselves? And after having uh, debated the name, they decided on keeping the name Eve. Because that's the name that was used to enslave us. That's the name we're going to use to free ourselves. And that's also <clears throat> Russell Lee talked about that. He talked about he liked the idea of being a people in the great sky. So I concur with that. We are all Indians. We are the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere. However, there's a monopoly going on with the federal government. The federal government has chosen to identify and decide who Indians are. And that's unfortunate. I mean, we fall into the trap. We should not allow the government to do that. In addition to that, enrolled Indians have fallen into that trap to where they do not recognize us 
and I'm speaking generally because there are exceptions on both sides of the fence, they do not recognize us as brothers or Indians. And at the same time, many of us do not recognize ourselves as Indians. Indians simply mean the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere. That's it. That's the commonality that we share. That's the one thing that brings us together. Now, I'm going to attempt to define an enrolled Indian and how it differs from a non-enrolled Indian. And, you know, if I get in trouble, if I miss some things, Terry's going to help me out. Okay. Now, originally, when the Europeans came, they were on this coast, and they started moving westward. And they had this concept of, of manifest destiny that they were superior to the indigenous people. God had sent them to take the land and to eliminate the people, believe it or not. Now, in the end, after they had eliminated approximately 98 to 99%, this is in the United States, of the indigenous people, well documented, at a pace that would embarrass Hitler, the few that were left were placed on reservations. Treaties were signed, and in these treaties, supposedly, the Indians gave land to the invaders in exchange for a written agreement that said they would receive services and commodities until the end of time. <clears throat> Even though they were forced, they were absolutely forced to sign the treaty. Now, in being placed on reservation, a kind of uh, checking system was kept. Who was there, who was born there, and so forth. And for the most part, there was not a lot of uh, mobility outside the reservation. Anytime you left the reservation, you had to notify the people in charge. In, in, in 1887, this is after the Indian problem was secured. The land was taken, the Indians were placed on the reservation, the white man was safe. No more wars. We got them where we wanted. We don't need treaties anymore. But the world was observing. So they had to devise a way to eliminate reservation and to eliminate the Indians or mainstream them so they would eliminate themselves. So they devised a, a, a ploy, and they referred to it as the General Allotment Act. In the General Allotment Act, the government said, we will give each and every Indian 150 acres of land if he is half or more Indian blood and can prove it in some kind of documentation. Well, excuse me. Even though Indians came and they had the features and they had the history and so forth, and they had people say, yeah, he grew up on his reservation with us, if he didn't have the document, then they did not qualify. We moved to the reservation and they were not granted land. Indian not own land individually. That is a European concept. Land is owned community. And this is true throughout the Western Hemisphere. So what they were trying to do is give these individuals land, people who could not farm, who knew not how to farm, who had no market for their product, who had no technology, who had no equipment. And not only that, better than 50% of the land was not arable. 
At the time, 1890, there was approximately a quarter of a million inmates. And they were in possession of 138 million acres. 48 million of those acres were distributed to so-called documented Indians. Indians that proved the documents that they were in half or more. That left 86 million acres that were declared as surplus. The government took that, put it on the market, and made it available. And guess who took it? Right now. Uh, 20 million acres of the 48 million acres that were given, like I said, were not arable. They were in arid or semi-arid land. Now, if I give you 160 acres, you go on this reservation, if you don't have a market, you don't have seed, you don't have technology, you don't have equipment, what do you do with it? You sell it. So what they found is that through documentation and deceit that they could systematically systematically dissolve these reservations in this population. So they were able to get rid of a lot of Indians and to take back a lot of the land systematically and quietly. So they began to realize, why don't we do this in all our federal services? So they came up with this concept of enrolled Indians. So they began to make Indians prove that they were Indians. Now, the Pueblo Indians were not recognized as Indians until 1910. That's how it was. Had it not been for the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, they simply would not have been identified or recognized as Indians. White man says, you guys are too civilized. You're not wild. You're not Indians. This is totally ridiculous. They fought until 1910 to get recognized. <clears throat> the Yaki Indians were from northern Mexico, went into exile from Mexico, fighting the Mexican government. They were teaching Mexican Indians, and I'll get into that later. Now, they went into exile, and in 1978, finally, they became enrolled Indians. And they now qualify for all the services that other enrolled Indians receive. So here's a white man playing God taking who is and who is not Indian. And we, we need to recognize that. Now we have, we have, uh, and this has always bothered me. I consider myself brown. I consider the Western Hemisphere brown. I remember growing up reading this, uh, this uh, thing that came out of one of the channel papers and it said, uh, America is not a country, it is a continent. It is a brown, but you hear a lot of Indians calling themselves red people and red men. And, and finally, I was able to discover where that came from. Now, 200, 200 years after this country had been born, the United States, they still hadn't used that word, red man. But in, in the 1700s, Charles Linnaeus, the naturalist who was going around classifying plants and classifying animals, thought he'd classify races. So he classified four races. Yellow man, the black man, the white man, and the red man. So the red man became the color of the Western Hemisphere. And look at us, we're not red, but it symbolizes our color in, 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 in terms of looking at it from a scientific point of view or, or Charles Linnaeus point of view. So that's where the term comes from. And I think that's 
important to understand. Uh, another term that I find difficulty with, a lot of difficulty with, is the term Latino. And I know a lot of the gangs, I watch them on TV, uh, movies, I saw some of the guys when I was in that, uh, go to California, Arizona. They are so proud, excuse me. They are so proud of themselves because they do not call themselves Latino. They don't know the history. Latino simply means the speaker of Latino. Now, I'm going to try to explain this to you, set this up. We're familiar, we were familiar with the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union had all these countries that were under their domination. They were called satellite countries. Uh, the Zika Empire was the same way. Now, In 37 BC was the birth of the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, which came out of Rome, which is in Italy, they had all these different territories that surrounded them that they had conquered. These territories were made up of kingdoms. Territories that were ruled by kings. Every so many hundred miles there was a king, and then there was another king, and then there was another king, and there was another king. And you gave your loyalty to that king and that king. And that royal family. Well, the Romans came and they wiped them out. They conquered them militarily and they started formulating territories and they called them provinces. For example, France was one of their provinces. Spain was one of their provinces. Portugal was one of their provinces. Romania and so forth. This was the Roman Empire. These people were speakers of Latino or Latinos. Now, Spain, which was called Hispanic, and that's interesting, Rome gave this territory that they conquered and carved out the name Hispanic. When they finally liberated themselves from Rome, they called themselves Hispanic or Hispanic. <clears throat> the languages that they spoke were referred to as Romance languages, languages of Rome. Now, France attempted to speak Latin, and it came out a different dialect. The Spanish, as we know today, attempted to speak Latin, and it came out with a different dialect. If you speak a different language, and you try to say the same thing with different muscles that have been developed, you get a different dialect. So, they laughed the way they spoke. The Spanish spoke Latin, the French spoke Latin, and so forth. So these different dialects became distinct languages. They were referred to as Romance languages. But in Rome, they called it Vulgus Latin. Vulgus means common people. Now, what word comes from Vulgus? Vulgus. Dirty, filthy, smelly. Those people are trying to speak our language. They say the same thing about the government. Texas. So the problem with the word Latino, a couple of things. One, you don't have a land base. What are you talking about? They come of Romania, some of Italy, some of France, some of Spain. No, 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 no. Latin America. Oh, you're talking about Latin America. Okay. What are you saying? Talking about what? Peru? Mexico? What are you talking about? Where's the land base? Where's your home? 
And then as it starts to get dark, the dark people start coming out. Uh, it's five o'clock and the people come out. Okay? Nine or ten o'clock, you got the angels out. Take it away. Okay. Now, I heard, I heard Russell Mean talk, and he said the same thing about Native Americans. He was named, they were invented by the United States government. And it incorporates people that don't look in it, they don't think in it. It just makes it easier for the white man. He uses it uniform and simplify so he can better deal with you. Now, I was here a few years ago. And, and I talked a little bit about something that had to do with that. <clears throat> and this person said, yeah, but one thing is change, man. We, just, we involve more people and get them more power. You want more people? You want more power? Say Indian. You got a billion people right there. You say Indian. Not only that, you got your roots in the land. But when you say Latino, Latino where? Romania? Hispania? Italy? Black, white, brown, what? What are you talking about? Now, I'm going to talk about Chicano tonight. Now, what does Chicano do? There are two things. It reveals and embraces our engineering We are detribalized in. We have been removed from our indigenous nation systematically over the centuries. So we are Indians. No less, no more than enrolled in. Two, it gives us a land base. We are indigenous to the Southwest, and I intend to show that to them. The Chicano was born in the Southwest, was not born anyplace else. This is our homeland. I don't care if you're born here or here. The Chicano was born in the Southwest, and that is just too important. If you come to my house, you're going to behave yourself. Okay? I sit down, I search through the channel. I put my feet on the end table. I stick my finger in my nose. I do whatever I want because I'm home. You're not. You're a visitor. Okay? If I go to your house, the same thing. Now, the white man has convinced us that we're visitors. That we came from someplace else. Okay? And we act like we're visitors. But you know what? This is our house. His ass needs to get tight. We need to put him in order. But we don't have an attitude. We don't have that attitude because we are confused. We have a loud terminology created by him, as Daniel was saying the other night, created by him to make it simple for him to confuse us. We've got to get over that. We've got to get over that. Wanna wanna read some real quick paragraph. Uh, I know DNA and genes took a blow with the OJ Simpson trial, but this article written several years ago is called Indian History and Genes. It says, listen to this now, it says, nearly all American Indians are descendants of a single small band of pioneers who walked across what's now the Bering Strait from Asia, Asia, 15 to 30,000 years ago. A genetic that Thursday. Alright? All the time here. They were immigrants. They like calling us immigrants. See, you got the immigrants too. You just got here first. 
and see the sunset. You got to do a bend. It's 35 miles gap between the two landmasses. They look at That's how they got there. It froze and they walked over. And they kept beating it to us and beating it to us and beating it to us. And the theory became law. If you keep telling somebody enough, it becomes law. And that's what it is today. It's law. And they can't prove it. And most scientists say it's ridiculous. But it's law. Okay? And this guy here called the pioneer. Right? So let's look up a scientific definition of what a pioneer is. <laughs> now, he's also saying we're all the same. Right? I mean, right now he says, earlier he was saying, we're different. You guys are Hispanic. You guys are Indian. You're different. You're not different. You got nothing in common. Okay, he's saying what you're saying. Now, let's look up Pioneer, because that's what he's saying we are. Pioneer, a person who settles in a part of the country that has not been occupied before except by primitive tribes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is uh, going back to my heart. Are we pioneers or are we? Are we immigrants or are we? No matter what, man, we can't get it right. He keeps taking away our land base. Columbus discovered America. That is totally ridiculous. 1992, President Reagan, President Reagan said, those three ships that came across were ships of liberty and democracy. Spain was a monarch. They had a king queen, practicing the Inquisition, governed by the Pope. That's not democracy. That's not freedom. They keep shoving these things down our throats. We need to start thinking for ourselves. And we need to start writing our history. And now the man will say, well, you guys are reconstructing history. No, 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 no. We're revealing it. Columbus did discover America. That's a reconstruction. That's a reconstruction. Now, I want to pass these out here. Okay, I want to just go through real quick. So, and I want you to refer to, to the maps when you find a need to. Sometimes I'll, I'll direct you to it, but if you need some help, go to it yourself. Uh, the first page is uh, the colony of Spain. As soon as the uh, New World was discovered, the European nations got together. They call it international conference. The European nations got together, and they started talking about we found this new land. Now we got to we got to establish the rules of conquest and discovery. So they decided that this is what we're going to do. If we go to the New World, this is how we're going to map out territories that belong to us and so forth. And these are the obligations, the prerequisites that we need to fulfill. All right. Uh, 1541, uh, Colony of Spain is mapped out. The uh, conquistadores 
black people in the desert and they, they, and they keep these stones and they make a pile and they say in the name of the king and queen of Spain and almighty God, they plan it out. And they go a few hundred yards or a few hundred miles and they do the same thing. They go all the way around. And they claim this land. And this is what they carved out approximately in 1541. The colony of New Spain. The next page is the Mexica Empire. The Mexica Empire, that dark area, consisted of approximately 39 what they call city-states. Actually, it was more like satellite countries. They were under the control of uh, Mexico Tenochtitlan. These, these Mexicas here were called Tenochtitlan. Tenochtitlan, they call them Tenochtitlan. They were the, the Mexica that governed the Mexica Empire. Uh, for the most part, these nations, these other Indian nations, were autonomous, except they did have to pay tribute in terms of uh, food, sometimes uh, service in the military, uh, young men, and sometimes according to uh, historians and, and uh, a guy that was saying that the, the, the whole idea of uh, giving hearts and sacrifice and all that is untrue. I don't know. I, that's something, that's something I want to deal with right now. But that was one of the parts of tribute, of paying tribute. And I think that's important to know. Uh, well, yeah. Then there's an overview of the word, oh, have a listen to the word Chicano. And take a look at it for a while. And look at that smooth flow. Mexico, 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 not Mexico, Mexico, Mexicuaro, Mexicano, Chicano. We have a mutation there with a the TH. We'll get into that later. That's what I'm going to work for tonight. Uh, but you see, I have special emphasis for the letter X. It's critically important. We'll talk about that. Then the next page, the map is, is Indian Nations. Now, these are the most names I could come up with. Uh, I was talking before this with this. Before I was talking to you about, Diana has a, a, some Indian maps in the library that are much more detailed. So if you get a chance, go to the library and, and get some of these maps. There's a lot of Indian nations there. Uh, you ask if, if you got what kind of Indian you are, man, I'm Aztec. <laughs> that was the one nation. That was the one tribe. Could have been anything. Could have been a combination of things. Why is the Aztec? Well, part of that is that you got to be an Indian, mind that we're in Spain. Okay, or that's the easiest one because we cannot. For the most part, backtrack and find our tribal roots because we have been detribalized, not de Indianized, tribalized. So there's a difference there. Okay, I'll tell you what Chichimeca is. Mesoamerican is a word created by anthropologists. Meso meaning half or middle. Middle America. But actually, it, it uh, involves mostly sedentary nations. Now, the, the next map, ethnographic map of Mexico, List about 51 Indian nations, of which I do not see the Aztec. Rather, I see the Nahua and the Aztec in uh, Anyway, the Aztec, uh, the Azteca actually is Nahua because they spoke the Nahua language. Actually, they were Mexica. But even though there were many more Indian nations there, and this map is about 40, 50 years old, I, was, I tell you guys, I was doing some research. I went all over the place. I was reading everything, anything. And I thought this was a very good map because the basic point to show that there was more so-called Aztecs in Mexico. And many of the tribes are on both sides of the border. 
Next map is a map which It says, uh, Indian cultural area showing one system of categorizing Indian peoples by culture and geography. Now look at the southwest. It goes way north of the Mexican border and way south of the Mexican border. This southwest geographical area is a desert. What is a desert? A desert is an area that receives 10 inches or less of rain. So you got a, a friend 100 miles away and they get 11 inches of rain, they're not in the desert. They are. You can get up to 120, 130 degrees. But the point I'm trying to make is that this southwest and the fact that it is a desert dictates the lifestyle of the people. It dictates, dictates movement of the people, the mentality of the people, the limitations of the people, and so forth. Now the next map is the teaching back a homeland. As I said later, I'll, I'll define teaching map, but it says desert culture. Now they have one, two, three, four, four or five deserts there. Actually it's all the same desert. Uh, Modern man categorizes everything, and he does it for the purpose of an advantage, convenience, profit, or whatever. And it's to his advantage to classify these deserts accordingly. You've got the Sonoran Desert, the Chihuahua Desert, the Mojave Desert, the Great Basin Desert, and sometimes they even include the uh, Painted Desert. Now, that doesn't mean that the rest of the areas are not desert. Like I said, it might be an inch difference in rain. Might still be hot, might still be dry, or whatever. Desert, desert. I don't care how the science classifies, but all this area is desert, southwest. Now there's a line there, a very dark line that runs from Veracruz west to Tepic. That's an imaginary line that was created by the Spaniards to separate the two types of Indians. So they would deal with two types of Indians: Chichimecas or nomadic Indians and stop them for sedentary Indians. Next map, the language map, is Utoaxacan language tribes. Now, Utoaxacan <laughs> means of the same family, it's from the same family, the family of Utoaxacan. Now, family means that at some point in time, all these languages originated from the very same source. <clears throat> They're cognizant. Now, you look, you look at uh, all over Mexico, the Nahuatl, Michoel, Tetawan, uh, Cora, Tarumara, Zacateca, Sonora, and then you move up, you see the Pima, the Hopi, the Payu, the Comanchinan, the Comanche, remember the Chichi, uh, Chichimeca, the Mexica, so the Comanche were actually the, Coman, the Comanchica. Then you go up to the uh, Banach, the Paiut, the, the Mono, the Panamint, they all speak a language that is very similar and has a common ancestor. If you take somebody from Mexico City who speaks Nahuatl, and you take them up to uh, Northern Nevada or Idaho, for example, with a banner, according to linguists, they could communicate in their language. So the theory is that, according to linguists, it's very, it's very uh, 
credible theory is that the majority of Chichimeco invaders that went down into Mesoamerica and conquered these advanced societies came upon as far away as Oregon and even Canada. You heard of Chief Seattle? Doesn't that sound like uh, Nahuatl, Seattle, Mexicano, Saguaro? All these names are Utoastecan, all the same family. Okay, and the last map is sort of like an aerial view of uh, language and how it spread or was spread at the time of the arrival of the land. So you may or may not be able to use them. I think you will. So take it upon yourself when to use those. Always had something negative to say about black people. 
And I confronted him one day. I said, man, what is it with you? What is it about black people that bothers you? I said, we're in the same boat. He said, yeah, man, but we got a country and we were never slaves. I said, no, 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 no. You got that wrong. We were slaves. No, man, we were never slaves. So I, I dropped it right there because it didn't make no sense to talk to me anymore. We were slaves. We were enslaved. Now, I'm sure you've seen a bullfight. When the Spaniards first came to the New World, they fought the bull on a horse. The Indian was not permitted to have a horse. He fought the bull on the ground. Guess how they fight the bull today? On the ground. They got there from the Indian. Number three is convert or Christianize. That says a lot in itself. And at this point, I'll leave it there right now. Number four was to control. That just simply means to enslave. Now, today, all the land is taken. There's no more manifest destiny in terms of land. The new manifest destiny is the mind. If you can win that mind, you can control that person because that person has energy. That person can produce for you. So these people, these Spaniards, controlled the Indian population and they made them free labor. They were nothing but labor. Now, to convert and control, you must be able to communicate. When the Spaniards came over here, they call it Mexico, they found that there were several hundred languages spoken by these Indians. It would be an impossible task to learn several hundred languages. And contrary to what you might think, they didn't want to teach them Spanish. So they decided upon four languages. Nahuatl, Zapotec, of those four languages, Nahuatl was the most dominant. And the reason why it was the most dominant, we go back to the Mexica Empire, where they had the 39 so-called city-states, the lingua franca, or the language of business, the language of education, government, and so forth, was Nahuatl. Now, all these different nations had their own languages, but in addition to that, they spoke Nahuatl. So they were bilingual. For example, the Sotanas. They spoke Sotanas and they spoke Nahuatl. For those of us who think we're Hispanic, like I said, Indians were not permitted or encouraged to speak Spanish. Spaniards promoted and advocated a distinct Indian identity, both linguistically and religiously. In the name of Christianity, it was understood, even encouraged, to retain one's Mexican Indian identity. I'm quoting this from a document source, and I think it's a spiritual conflict of Mexico, Richard Ricard. And I continue, they would not countenance any attempt to Hispanicize Hispanicize, Hispanicize, or Europeanize the natives. It was held that for the Mexicans 
to become a true Christian, he had to break entirely with his past. Except, and this is an important fact in his language, because it was clearly understood that to become a true Christian, he did not have to become a slander. And that it was perfectly allowable and even recommended that he remain a Mexican. Now, I thought for the longest time that the Mexican or the Mexicano was born in 
Okay, that's one thing I want to point out. Number two is the mutation or the absence of the letter S in the word Chicano. something out of the book for you. Uh, I got it from Diccionario de Atletico. I got it from uh, Francisco Lopez. Where did, you, did you get that in Mexico? Uh, no, man. I got it in the States. Okay. I was hoping something exotic, man. Like, you know, you got it down the street. It's called Diccionario de Atletico. Now, it, it talks about uh, each letter and how it's pronounced as it pertains to Nahuatl sound values. Okay, number 17 talks about X, and I'm quoting. It is pronounced like the French CH. It is pronounced like the French CH, or like the English SH. But you got to remember that, that Spanish and French come from the same source. So if anything, so if anything, it's a CH sound. And listen to this. In most of the Mexican turned Castilian words, the X is no longer used. It has been substituted at the beginning of the diction with J or with F. For example, Xalapa, X-A-L-A-P-A, Xalapa. Xoconosco. S-O-C-O-N-O-C-H-C-O. And then it, and then it spelled it a new way. S-O-C-O-N-U-S-C-O. An interesting one is, is Chalisco. S-A-L-I-X-C-O. Today it's pronounced Chalisco. So you see the camouflage. You see the cognitive at the same time you see the camouflage. Now, I want to draw attention to somebody, but I, you know, I, I call it a mutation, and I talk about it in the book, like, what happened that all of a sudden they stopped pronouncing the SH or CH sound, or they just continued using the letter X. Even when they used the letter X, they didn't have the sound, or the CH or SH sound. Uh, the other day, I talked to uh, Francisco. Where you at, Francisco? Could you come up, please, and tell us, or stand up and tell us uh, what you found out when you were a student here at MSU? <coughs> The word Mexico was written in the Jehovah, the J, the X. Try to look it up, and basically, the letter X was prohibited to use in Spanish. Well, the Mexicano, the word Mexico spelled with a J. And I can't, I don't have the year, so I, I meant to look it up. It was meaning that it had some. But, uh, you know, it changed, of course, after some time. The letter J was just what you said, yes. That nasty word of prohibited. That's the mutation. That's why all of a sudden things started changing. Go ahead. Why was it prohibited? I think what happened was that, I can't answer that right now. I think what happened, though, probably, was that there was an attempt to detach the, the, the richer people, because you had a cast system. First of all, you had 53 classifications. You had a Spanish caste system, which was worse in South Africa. So 
there was an attempt on, on the part, and a successful attempt on the part of the richer people, either the authority or people in control, white people, to distance themselves from India and anything that was India. Uh, somebody was telling me that uh, when they they were working on the, the thing in Mexico, the trade thing, that when they took the camera people around the United States, they purposely avoided people with dark skin. They kept going to people that were well-dressed and white and so forth. I mean, that's why I was saying earlier about Lee the Young. You know, there's an obvious separation and distinction. And, and, and it started centuries ago. started centuries ago. And I think that's what happened. Now, another thing, I can't answer that, but I think that's what happened. Maybe we need to find out if we can. I, that was really interesting is that if you could find a document, that would be very powerful. Uh, now, you notice that the word Aztec is not here. Where's the word Aztec? Well, 300 years after the conquest of the Mexica, the word Aztec is introduced by a German. In other words, these people do not call themselves Aztecs. Now that's another thing that camouflages and confuses our identity. Now right here we got a blue smoke. You put Aztec in there and throw everything on the way. It's a European word. It's something that we introduced. It was an attempt to say a slime or actually Oscar line and that's Aztec. Okay, it's a catch-all phrase. It's just like Hispanic. That's totally good. Hispanic. Okay, Native American, 1971, the federal government says, uh, Native American, throw them all together. <laughs> that is for the white man to uniform and simplify, to make things easier for him. Period. Just make things easier for us. In approximately 1168, a small nation, by the name of Chichimeca, left probably what is north of Mexico. Could be within what is Mexico today. It could be in the southwest. Uh, I think somebody was talking about a slime. Let me go over here. Uh, that's not important where they came from because we're talking about the name. That's another issue. But anyway, these people call themselves Chichimeca. Now, what does Chichimeca mean? Some people say it means people of the dog. Some people say it means barbarian. Other authorities say they don't know. And then you have some authorities who say Chichimeca means people of the eagle. The sheep lake was their god. The sheep lake was represented by eagles. The eagles symbolized the sheep. Symbolized sun. She was a sun god. War god. Symbolized Another name that was used was which means hummingbird god. And yet another name in Nahuatl is Quapli. And that's why I surmise. That the TLI, but I don't, I don't know anything about Nawala. I have trouble with man. Okay, but you got Menchikli, a guy. You got Mitsilo Porsky, a guy. And you got Swapli, 
Lastly, ego God, ego war God. They all end in this. Now I figure this means reverence or godlike. They should speak. They're God. God is a teaching man. I've heard and I've read that Guatemala actually was focused in on Guatemala. Comes from Guatemala. What's interesting is that that Mexicli, Uchidoportli, and Quatli all come together in what's called Guateca. Guateca is when a soldier of the Mexica loses his life on the sacrificial stone or loses it in battle. He becomes what's called Guateca. And what that means is that Quatli is that he becomes a companion to the sun. He will rise and sit with the sun for four years, and that's the sacred number. Four. Every day for four years. Remember the sun, the sheep the pain, to the eagle. Now, after four years, he becomes a hummingbird. He lives forever and ever. The hummingbird is moving the park. So you see the three gods come together. Now the the uh the Chichimeca were governed was by what was called a theocracy or government by God. And they were governed by a council of four. You had to be a high priest if you were among the council of four. Now one of their leaders or their main leader was called Mexi. It is pretty obvious that Mexi contained tribute to his God. The sheep. Uh, Christian means what? Followers of Christ? Christ like? Same thing. There, there was a there was a, a high priest in Nayari, centuries ago, his name was Onachi. And his guy was Onachi. Another name for the same guy. You've heard of you heard of Quetzalcoatl? Quetzalcoatl was a religion and a god. But once, if you practice that religion, once you became a high priest, you became a Quetzalcoatl. You took on that name, Quetzalcoatl. That's why history, Mexican history and Southwestern history become very confusing because there's times when you can't tell the difference. Whether you're talking about a god or a man god. Uh, in Tula at one time, they had nine Quetzalcoatl. They took on the name of their God. Montezuma. You know Montezuma I, Montezuma II, of the Mexican Empire once they settled in the Chica Tenochtitlan. Montezuma was a God that was worshipped by the Papago Indians. And the Pueblo Indians as well. And I, at the time I thought that they were actually worshipping the monarchs. But they weren't. What it seems like is that the monarchs probably got their name to show their appreciation and worship for the God of the food. <laughs> so in the book, I go into more detail, and I pretty much feel comfortable saying that Betsy had made himself after his death. Now, 
They teach us. The council of four appears before the people and says, we have received a sign from Mexico. Mexico says we must change our name to Mexico to indicate that we are a follower of Mexico. I lost anybody. Okay. Now, they receive a vision. And that vision is of an eagle on a castle. And I understand the initial vision did not concern the thing. But they were to leave their homeland and to head south and to seek that vision. A hundred years later, so it's not the same people, a hundred later, several generations later, they finally find that vision. The first thing I came across in my readings was Meshitli was the Nahuatl name for a war god, and a very likely source of the name Meshitli. I got that all done. But then I came across contradicting the meaning. And I won't go into that. It's in the book. Okay. Uh, because I don't agree with it. I feel comfortable saying, or I'll read that. Michael D. Cole and Michiko wrote, We need, we next see the Aztecs following the end to mouth existence in the marshes of the Great Lake. Oh, they wandered. Loved by none until they reached some swampy, unoccupied land covered by rushes near the western shore. It was claimed that their tribal prophecies to build a city where an eagle was seen sitting on a cactus, holding a snake in its mouth, was fulfilled. By 1344 or 1345, the tribe was split in two. One group under the chief Dinoch, founding the southern capital, Dinochtitlan. Now, in, again, in Francisco's book that he provided, uh, Dictionary of Aztecismo, uh, it, it has the following grammatical breakdown of the words Mexico Tenochtitlan, which is really fascinating. And, and I read, and I say that Tenochtitlan is being put named in honor of Mexico Thomas Mother. It reads, when Tenochtitlan goes with person, name, it means under. Determined in epoch. Mexico Tenochtitlan means Mexico founded under the order or in the reign of Tenoch. Following this example, some hybrids of modern towns have been formed among us, like <coughs> Mina Tizan, in honor of General Mina, Baragan Tizan, in honor of General Baragan, Polo Tizan, in honor, or excuse me, in memory of Mr. Polo, who founded a town near San Juan del Rio. Another Nahuatl suffix implies Mexican related to Mexico. Oh, E-O. It means in, within. It is not postpositioned in the words ending in TL, with the exception of TL means TL. Fire with which TL means, I know it's kind of confusing, but if you see it, you can write it in a lot simpler. TL means E-O in the fire form. It is joined to the noun, substituting the ending. TLI. Substituting the ending, T-L-I, L-I-I-N. For example, Mexico, Mexico. That's a lot of sense. A 
according to the grammatical description, it seems to me that Mishikli is in or within this designated area of Mexico. Or another way of saying it, Mexico, Mexico is the home of Mishikli. So the home of the Mexica, the people of the eagle. You put it together and it, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. The next word, Mexica is close. And I could have put Mexicuado or Mexicado, however you behind here. But I wanted to show Mexicuado's relationship with Mexicano. Mexicuado is simply singular for Mexicano. Mexicano is the Spanish corruption or mispronunciation of Mexicuado, singular for Mexica. Mexicano as a word, and as a people, as a concept, and as a program are entirely different. And I'll speak about that in a minute. I give a list, I give a list uh, under uh, Mexicano of the Nahuatl word in their Spanish pronunciation and their English definition. For example, Macuahuito, the Spanish pronunciation. Macana, that's a long way to look. The definition is the Aztec War Club. Guatemo, they pronounce it Guatemo. You know that was the last Aztec Emperor. Uh, Huichilocorte, they pronounce it Huichilocorte. In the Aztec War Club. Aguacado, Aguacate. And Avocado. And I give a, a couple pages of One interesting one here is Guapanco Quito. Spanish pronunciation is Guapango, and we know what that is. Popular Mexican Chicano band. Now, Cortez zeroed in on the Mexican Empire in its conquest, and it was very easy if you resort to the Mexican Empire map. He was able to recruit the support of all the surrounding Indians. But another thing that made it easy is that these were fixed populations, they were sedentary people, they had fixed boundaries, uh, they were much more predictable. So they actually, in comparison to the Chichi Mecca, they were a lot easier to fight by. So we started with the Mexico. Area in the center of the empire. The Germans conquered there and took his time working his way across the empire, one at a time, using Indians to fight Indians. Now, as he conquered these Indians, he gave them all the names of Mexican. Now, this is before the birth of the country, Mexico. In 1821. And it really simplifies things by just calling them as you come. After he conquered the Mexican Empire, the Spaniards over the years 
started moving northward. Now, you remember the map that had the imaginary line that separates the Chichimeca from the Mexica, the Mexicano, he began moving north. Okay, I, I told you that that originally these people were called Chichimeca and they changed their name to Mexica. Now, the other Chichimeca became a generic term and represented all the people north of his border, this imaginary border. They were all called Chichimeca, and for derogatory reasons. Even the Mexica themselves called them Chichimeca. Iscuadal, which was one of the monarchs, told the historians to burn all evidence of their connection to the Chichimeca because they wanted royal blood. So they were into that stuff too. They wanted to show that they were connected with the protectors. They were connected with the royal family. So he said, burn the books, the pictographs, whatever shows our history. Rewrite it. Make, make us look pure. Make us look connected to the protectors. And, and you see that when, when Chicanos get here to this country and they look at their brothers and when they come over they have derogatory terminology. So it's in the nature. It's in the nature. Spaniards, right here, after the completion of the defeat of the Mexica Empire, the Spaniards divide New Spain into two types of Indians. Number one, the conquered and Christianized Indians who were labeled Mexicanos. Two, the unconquered Chichimecos, because they, they hispanized the term Chichimeca and the Chichimecos, who were unchristianized and nomadic. As the Chichimeca became victims of the four seas, they became classified as Mexicanos, an identity that was created and promoted by the Spaniards. That's why I call this Mexicano because it started moving north. Eventually, it started catching up with the Chichimeca. And it started moving north toward the border we know today as the Southwest. Eventually, got into the Southwest. San Antonio, Santa Fe, San Francisco, San Diego, San Luis Obispo, all these sons were nothing more than missions that apprehended Indians, conquered them, congregated them, converted them, and controlled them. They were Mexicanizing these Indians. At this point, it was, it was a, a, a century or two later, they were now teaching them Spanish. But they were producing, manufacturing Mexicans from the tribes that were in existence in the Southwest and in Mexico. So you could be a Mexicano or Mexicano in the Southwest and never came from Mexico. More than three-fourths of the Indian population of New Spain had been conquered, congregated, Christianized, and controlled after almost 300 years of continuous war between the Indians and the Spaniards. The Chichimeca and the southwestern United States, who escaped Spain's conquest, detribalization, and Mexicanization, have become today enrolled or so-called 
American Indian. Now, Mecca, when the Spanish came, came, Mecca, according to the Spanish historians. In the annual came, and they wrote history, they didn't use the word Chichimeca. They used the word Indian. But it's the same people. The terminology is different. The Chichimecas, or the Chichimecas got lost in history. They got buried in history. But they're the same people. The very same people. Now, this, these centuries and centuries of war between the Spaniards and the Chichimecas were called the Chichimeca Wars. You heard about the Yaquis. I talked about the Yaquis being exiled and so forth. The Yaquis, the Yaquis never signed a, a peace treaty with the Mexican government. I think that it was until uh, 1950 or something like that. Uh, the Sede Indians never signed a treaty until, I think, 1978. Uh, the Tarumana, probably quite a bit earlier, uh, these people fought beyond the Apache. They fought beyond the Comanche. The same Indians, all Chichimeca. Yet, you're told in your history book that 500 crackers, okay, with 40 million Indians, naked Indians, okay? I mean, that's disgusting. I mean, that's terrible. That's degrading. And for years I felt terrible. I said, man, we don't even know how to fight. That's a terrible history. You know what that does to you in terms of self-respect? But history is critically important. That's why this country spent six hundred million dollars on a quincentennial to tell you the damn lie Columbus discovered America. And he does it every year on October 12th. He rubs it in your face. And he knows you hate it. Because it's important. The founding fathers. I remember that poem. Uh, I can't remember who wrote it, but I remember it's about the Chicano that's in class. And he's, he's, got a, he's got a white teacher and he's kind of building off and smoking like this in class. He's boring, not interested. And all of a sudden, he wakes up, he says, Dare I ask for her to reiterate? Did she say George Washington was my father? So I raise my mind and I say, If George Washington was my father, why wasn't he returning? And it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, Russell Lee says, he says, those people who wore wigs and tights and nylon and high heels and wigs are not our common fathers. <laughs> he said, the transvestites. <laughs> History is extremely important. It's important. <laughs> It goes back to what I was saying about energy and identity. It's extremely important. Geronimo is your ancestor. The wonderful Geronimo. Pope. And I wear this in honor of Pope. Pope is your ancestor. Captain Jack. Chaco. Nana. Bad dudes. And so is Emiliano Zapata, the ancestor of the Indians, the so-called low Indians of the United States. They're all our ancestors. We can draw energy and pride from all these people because they're our rasa. But they've been taken away from us and we play right into that. 
I can read about anybody that's indigenous weapon on here, and I draw pride and courage, enthusiasm, and then because I'm clean based. I know my history. Now, Chicano, X-I-C-A-N-O, I just give examples of all the words that start with an X. Uh, for example, Chicalanca, Chilona, Chipe, Chochimilco, and Chochiquetas. And I talk about, it's not surprising that these words have an extra surprise in it that they still come out. How did they survive? How did they continue to maintain the Indian economy? Now, if you look at the Chicago vocabulary, the Spanish vocabulary, and you look at the origin of the word, you'll find that so much of the Spanish words are actually bastardized Indian words. And if Columbus and Cortez were here today, and they found out that 80% of the genes of Mexico are Indian, and that the food is primarily Indian, and that the, the religion is primarily Indian, even though it's called Catholic, and that the language is primarily Indian, they would have to ask themselves, well, who conquered who? We took their best shot. We stuck them in. We still got some work to do. But somehow we consider ourselves minority. Now, in, in the last section here, Chicano, I like to quote Harry McQueen in the book, North Mexico. He says, the Spanish people have an identification with the Southwest, which can never be broken. They are not interlopers or immigrants. He said we're not immigrants. But an indigenous people, as a consequence, they resent and will always resent any designation which implies a hyphenated relationship to their native environment, and particularly so when this designation is applied by Anglo dash American interlopers and immigrants. Now, this book was written in 1949. A white man in 1949 said, They are the indigenous people. You, my brethren, are the foreigners. You are the Mohawks. <laughs> now, that is a courageous man. That is a courageous man. Now, uh, Richard Rodriguez says, To be Chicano was to take a stand. To be Chicano meant no compromise, no accommodation. To be Chicano was to say, we are not the poor. That's how powerful that word is. If you're making a statement, you have created your own identity, and now you can trace it. Now, in, in trying to discover whether a word is cognizant or not, where its origin is, you don't necessarily look at the spelling. You listen to the sound and you listen to the definition. And this is the case with the word Chicano. If you look at the word Chicano and Mexicano, uh, you say, well, it's kind of a similarity back to Mexicano and this is Chicano. But if you listen to it, you listen to the definition, and if you look at the history and you find out what X really stands for, hey, you got something. 
Now, I'm not going to get into it. Buy the book, study it, and do you more justice. Uh, I do want to add one thing about about the ads, and I didn't make, I think I did mention this earlier. About Don Quixote, did I ask anything about Don Quixote? No. So, Don Quixote was written in the 16th century. Don Quixote, at the time, you know, is spelled. Well, in the 16th century, it was pronounced Don Quixote. Today, the French spell it Don Quixote. They didn't change the Spanish did. Okay, and I give example after example of how uh, words today, for example, chocolate was spelled X-O-P-O-A-T-L. It went from an X word to a TH word. Now, can I conclude that, that Chicano is a slip word from Mexicano? And slip word simply means something that comes from a main word, for example, to add some advertising. Response and response. And if, in fact, Chicano is a slip word from Mexicano, that would, that would make the word mechisly its root word. This would make los Chicanos people of the evil as well. It is believed that the, that the Chica came from approximately 80, 90 miles north of Yuma. In Yuma, Arizona, a Chicano was born who created the greatest movement in the history of mankind. Little Indian dude, the most charismatic and daring and sincere man you've ever met. This is Chavez. What's interesting is that, what's interesting is that, Guatemo, Guatemo Sin, means descending eagle. Guatemo was the last emperor of the Mexican Empire. He was the descending eagle, the setting sun. And I say that this Chavez was the rising eagle and the rising sun. And he gave us birth. And he gave us an identity. And he gave us back Mexican. And we need to get back to our roots. Very quickly, you can't discuss Chicano without discussing the Chicano people. And I'm going to go through this briefly. In 1846, imagine the Southwest. The Southwest is primarily two kinds of Indians. Mexicano, or detribalized Indians, which are Mexicanized, and Chichi Mexicans. There were hardly any language, hardly any. Gold hadn't been found in an air conditioner then yet. You can laugh if you want, that's true. It wasn't until the 1940s after the invention of the air conditioner and its refrigerator that the white man started to come to the Southwest. And the only reason why he had, had whites at the other time, earlier, was because of gold rush. It was mostly the Chicanos and G.G. Mackin. As a matter of fact, all the publications were in Spanish. There were no English-speaking newspapers. 
That's how dominant we were in the population. There were more Mexicanos than there were Indians. And he called you Mohawk. 1846, the United States declared war. By 1848, with the Treaty of Guadalupe, they cut Mexico in half. Cut Mexico in half. They separate Mexicano. Mexico accepts $15 million in addition to giving up the land. That's why the historians say they call us. Those who were sold. And they call us the Negroes in Mexico sometimes. But we got sold. Now, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo said that this government are to respect the property rights, the political rights, the religious rights, and the language rights of the Mexicanos and the Indians for the Chichi Mexicans. This country or the territory passed laws that directly contradict that treaty. So we are rejected by Mother Mexico. We are rejected by the Americans, the Native Americans. Give an example California Constitution of 1849. It's Latham's State, Section 1. Every white male citizen of the United States and every white male citizen of Mexico who shall have elected to become a citizen of the United States under the Treaty of Peace, that's Treaty one of the other, exchange and ratify that consent, get a, get a title on the 30th of May, 1848, at the age of 21, who shall have become a resident of the state six months next preceding the election. And it goes on. It's called the Jets for White Gold. California became a state of the Union under this Constitution. And Texas was admitted earlier under a similar Constitution. The rest of the territory ceded by Mexico in 1848 was divided into, into two territories. Utah and New Mexico. At the time, you didn't have Arizona. It was called uh, New Mexico. With territorial government set up by this law in 1850. And it will be further enacted that every white, free white male inhabitant above the age of 21 years who shall have been a resident of said territory at the time of passage of this act shall be entitled to vote at the first election. That's a violation of that treaty. Our lands were stolen systematically. Talk to a radio local thinking, you know, the Spanish struggle, the Spanish land grant. The Pueblo Indians got ripped off. War was declared on the Indians, and they were eventually placed on uh, reservations. Those of them who lived, they became eventually enrolled Indians, and we became Mexican. But it was that rejection by the Americans 
and Mother Mexico that created the need for a third identity. It was that contractual extraction and that racial separation that created a new birth of a new people, a Chicano. And in saying Chicano, we know where we came from, we know who our mother is, so we have a distinct identity. And what's beautiful about the letter X, and, and uh, Todd and I were at the Wisconsin, Todd is the Bridge Conference in California, the Met National Metro Conference, and every, every time they wrote Chicano was X-I-C-A-N-O. And the X said something. I am Indian. I am back. I am back to basics. I am proud. It is beautiful. Corky wrote a poem. Part of it says, and this is what's I'm sure it He says, I shed tears of sorrow. I sorrow seeds of hate. I withdraw to the safety within the circle of my own people. That's what you do when people reject. That's what we're doing here. We come to comfort and support and energy and direction. It is necessitated by the way we are treated. So we have developed a third identity. And Chicano established establishes that we are indigenous in the Southwest. We were born in the Southwest. That is our home. You can call anything you want. Our sign or whatever. But the fact is, maybe one day we'll have a name for it. We were born in the Southwest. We are indigenous. Found, scientists have found, 
Scientists have found a linguist have found which is the most effective way to backdate actually is language. That's why I gave the language now. And linguists have found that it is most likely that the so-called Mesa came from the area of Arizona. You know, and that is so important because they can claim the Southwest based on the fact that the Mexica came from the Southwest, went down to Mexico, kicked the hell out of a bunch of people, got their ass missed by some crackers and strangers, came back as migrants, okay, got drunk in the bar and said, hey, this is ours, baby. This is where they that came from. It's old manifest. But the good part of that is that if we want the Southwest, we can take it. We got the numbers. We got the numbers. You go, you go to the Southwest, 95% of the people working on the side are Indian, Chicano, and Mexican. All right? But we ain't got the guts to build a nation. Because we can't cooperate, we can't coexist. I'm sorry, but I have to love it. We have demonstrated that time and time again. It, it doesn't matter what it is. The white man was the last person here. He made the program. It don't matter who came here first. Who got the biggest hammer? We ain't got no hammer, man. We ain't got no hammer at all. They had Y87 man Chicano for jumping on Chicano and jumping on Mexicans. And, and you know, the white man can't send no Mexicans back to Mexico. I ain't gonna work in the field. I'm poor over there. White folks ain't gonna work there. Yeah, I do it. <laughs> you know what? They ain't gonna send nobody back to Mexico. They just said that to get an office. Because they know white folks hate Mexicans. White politicians use their people. Look at King Richard Jack playing cold words and words like democracy and don't burn the American flag and stuff like that. They don't care about nobody. Democrats fighting Republicans. They're not fighting for justice. They're fighting to see who can run the plantation. That's what time it is. What I'm saying is it don't matter where, who can't be where. We got the numbers, we got the manpower, we got the savvy, what we got to do is start building the nation. I saw one million black people march on Washington. The most hated man in America said, we're going to march on Washington. Can you imagine what one million people do in one place? If they gave all the money to one source? That's powerful. And I saw one lady who speaks. I saw Mr. Shabazz speak. Who was married to Malcolm X, who was murdered supposedly by the Muslims. And she spoke, and you know what that said to me? That black people are so serious about coming together that they're prepared to overlook the Muslims. And she kind of went like that. She kind of went like that. That's the problem. It is the problem. All the angels need to get together, regardless of where they come from, in roles, de roles, whatever roles, just get it together because we have masses. They have us split up into the little pockets. The Native Americans are one little one percent of the place. The fastest growing population is Chicago. Yeah, we can they go all got together. You know, I said we got the numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember in Rhodesia, which was named after a guy named Mr. Rose, they had maybe like population white people in the whole country, Western and South Africa. I mean, you got more numbers, they don't necessarily mean anything. You got to have cooperation. You guys, I saw Todd, you know, Todd, you know, I, I don't, I don't drive nobody, man. I don't ride shotgun. 
I thought Todd turned this university upside down. Okay? The women. A few of them. Okay? But who benefits? Well, he got all this money. And if you got, you got the money, you don't even know what he did. They're going to come to the university and say they got here on their own merit. And then they ain't going to come to your meeting. You've got to come together. It only takes a few. Well, Pat did it. He did it. It only takes a few. But you've got to come together and you've got to come together. It gives you a lot of problems. It's nice that we got the numbers and stuff. But we got the numbers. We got, you know, uh, I quoted uh, North Mexico, uh, Karen Williams, and he said that the, the, the Southwest is one of the greatest economic powers on Earth. He said two things made that possible. He said, Mexican workers and irrigation. But who do you think laid the pipe for that irrigation? Mexican. He said, the best time the Mexican got in the Southwest is this. Yeah, I thought that's what the First Nations Association. 
empresa y no presumo, soy Copyright 96.